But I want to start in Romans 4 again. I'm just going to read that main section where it's talking about the faith of Abraham. And that last phrase. In the presence of the God in whom he believed. Who gives life to the dead. And calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, that's Paul writing in the book of Romans. But when you really think about even everything that we've looked at thus far through um, our study of Genesis. I've, you've heard me talk much about God's sovereignty and His power and His authority over all things. But, but that phrase, that was one probably four or five years ago now when I was just studying through the book of Romans and that just, that was one of those things that it was like, wow, um, it stood out to me and, and it was almost, really it was one of those things that it was like, how have I not read that before? Obviously I've read it, but how has it never caught my eye before that specific phrase that God who brings life to the dead and, and brings into existence the things that don't exist. I mean, when you when you look at creation, creation did not exist until God Brought it into existence. When you look at mankind. Adam and Eve did not exist. Adam did not exist until God brought him into existence. So literally from, from creation onward. That, that phrase God. Who calls into existence things that don't exist. Now we're getting to the point where we're looking at uh, Abram. Of course, most people, we just, we remember him as Abraham. We don't really remember him as Abram. But we're getting to the call of, of Abraham. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but the entire nation of Israel, when we think about ethnic Jews, ethnic Israel, there was no such thing. <coughs> think about it. We've, we've been through 11 chapters in Genesis. At what point have we read or discovered this Jewish line, this Israelite lineage, doesn't exist until God calls Abraham. And what does he tell Abraham? I will make of you a great nation. You will be the father of a great nation. And in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Israel did not exist. The people of God, the chosen people of God did not exist until God called them into existence by calling a man named Abraham. Now in Joshua 24, we actually read, and, and this, is, this is significant, I want to point this out. In Joshua 24, when Joshua gathers the people together to remind them of the one true God, Something important about Abraham's upbringing is, uh, is mentioned here. Joshua 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah. The father of Abraham and Nahor. And they served other gods. 
Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt and I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt and what I did in the midst of it and afterward I brought you out. And Joshua continues on and gives a full history lesson of Israel and how they got to where they were at at that point in Joshua 24. But what I want to hone in on before we even dive into Abraham, Joshua says that Terah and Abraham and Nahor, they worshiped other gods. But God called Abram. Had God had God never called Abram, had God never chosen to make a people for his own possession, the nation of Israel would not exist. Therefore, all of the promises to Abraham, including, including the promise that in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, none of those promises would have come to fruition because the promises wouldn't exist had there never been a call of Abram had had God never chosen to make a people for his own possession. And think about what we've we've studied up to this point. Last week, when I did all of the reminders from Genesis that we've um things that we've studied so far, we looked at God's track record, so to speak, his sovereignty, the things that he's achieved, his goodness, his mercy, but also his justice and his wrath. And when we looked at man's track record, did we um did we come to the conclusion that man has a stellar track record? Or did we come to the conclusion that man has a pretty corrupt track record just through the first 11 chapters of Genesis? After all, after the flood came and God gave his promise that never again will I destroy the world with a flood, how did mankind respond? With overwhelming worship of God? With overwhelming obedience to God? No. They said, hey, let's have a great city with a tower and let's all stay right here even though God said disperse and fill the earth. One thing is very, very clear. Mankind is corrupt and sinful and deserving of the wrath of God. At this point in Genesis, if God said, okay, I said I'd never flood the earth again, but I'm going to destroy it with fire right now, God would be within his rights to do so. After the whole Tower of Babel incident. But what we are reading here with God calling Abram, calling a man who his upbringing included the worship of other gods. What we see in God calling Abram and then giving him great and mighty eternal promises is the mercy and grace of God that sets up, or really rather that continues, His promise that the head of the serpent will be crushed. And we're going to see that promise come to fruition when God displays His love through the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. One last thing, I know that I'm I know that I'm looking at a few different passages before we even get to chapter twelve. But in Galatians chapter three, 
Because because what I just said, if you think about what I said, if you okay, we get that the head of the serpent's going to be crushed, but but you're saying that that this these promises to Abraham include like the fact that this is going straight to Jesus, that this is a direct connection to Jesus, and and this really points to the gospel. So where Caleb, where are you pulling that from? Where do you get the idea that just because God called Abram and gave Abram great promises that this is this is setting up the the great birth of Jesus and the crucifixion and the gospel going out how is there a direct connection there well uh, thankfully Paul made that connection for me and I just read the book of Galatians so Galatians chapter 3 in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Okay, so that's significant right there. If you're here today and you say, I have faith in Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father, the perfect Son of God, the perfect Lamb, I have faith that when He laid down His life upon the cross, that his blood was shed to cover my sin, to atone for my sin. And I have faith that, that we serve a risen Savior, that when he arose, it proved that he had conquered sin and death. And all who believe will inherit eternal life. And I am one of the believing ones. I have faith in that. Then you're a child of Abraham. So how in the world does that make sense? How am I an Israelite? Spiritually speaking, how am I a child of Abraham? Verse 8, Galatians 3 verse 8. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. How is that a gospel presentation? You might ask you might ask yourself if somebody were to ask me what's the gospel I probably would not tell them the gospel is God telling Abraham in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. But that's exactly what Paul has just said here. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So the gospel was preached to Abraham. And what was that gospel? In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So then, those who are of the faith are blessed, or those that are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul... When he looks back at these promises, this call given to Abraham, these promises given to Abraham, he actually makes a connection. He says, the gospel was preached to Abraham. The good news of Jesus Christ was preached to Abraham. How so? In you, Abram, and you, Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Well, how does that even begin to make sense? From what line, from what lineage, from what ethnicity did Christ himself come from? The Jewish line. The Israelite lineage. 
Well, when did the Israelites come into existence? When God called Abram. And so therefore God can tell Abram, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because from this line of Israel, from from the tribes of Israel, specifically the tribe of Judah, but from this people of Israel, from this people of God, comes the Messiah. And Christ did not come only to save an ethnic people. The promises given to Abraham were not just for an ethnic people. Many of the promises from God to His people find their yes, find their yes in Jesus Christ. How is it that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed? Because when Christ comes, He comes to save all who believe, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. When Christ comes, He reveals to us that He's the Good Shepherd. And He has sheep that are not of this fold, the Jewish fold. And He must bring them in. And as we've covered as well, if you go all the way to Revelation, there's going to be a time where there is an innumerable multitude, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that are worshiping, saying salvation belongs to the Lord. And all of that finds its source, finds its beginnings really here with the call of Abraham. If you take this call of Abraham out of the picture, you're going to have to do away with a lot of the rest of Scripture because much of it is directly tied to this call God making a people for His own possession. And the promises that He gives to His people. The rest of Scripture is God making good on those promises. The rest of the Scripture is God seeing to it that His people not only exist, but that they are redeemed and that they will be sustained to the end. And that they will be with Him in glory. And so, as I've been saying For the few weeks leading up to this, once we get to Abraham, there's going to be a lot of biblical connections to tie in and to look like uh, and to look at within Scripture. The very the very end of Genesis 11, Genesis 11, verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. And the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. And the daughter of Haran, or sorry, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Keep that in mind. God who calls into existence things that don't exist. We're not going to get to this today. I'm going to go ahead and plant seeds. How we're working up to these things. Sarah is barren. Abram is called. God's going to promise Abraham a child. How's he going to have a child if his wife is barren? God gives life to the dead. Her, her womb is dead. Her womb is barren. He allows her to conceive and have a child. He brings into existence things that don't exist. 
So that's an important part of this. Abram, his upbringing included the worship of other gods, pagan worship. His wife is barren. God says, I'm calling you out. From you I'll make a great nation. And you're going to have a promised child even though your wife is barren. Verse 31. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth. Again, how is it that through Abraham all the families of the earth will be blessed? There is a coming Messiah. There is Jesus Christ. The one who will crush the head of the serpent. So we have this promise here and this promise here is directly connected to the promise given in Genesis 3.15 that the head of the serpent would be crushed. Remember our lineages. Line of Cain, line of Abel. Or not the line of Abel, sorry, line of Cain, he killed Abel. But then there is Seth, the line of Seth. From that we have Noah. Then we have Noah and his three sons. One of the sons, his lineage is cursed, Canaan. Then you have Shem and Japheth. And from those lines, we come to this point where we now have Abram. And so all of that, all of this is connected still back to the line of Seth, which goes back to Eve, which goes back to the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. All of this is connected. All of this is the great unfolding of God's plan of redemption for His people. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so we have this call of Abram and today really as we've already done I just want us to see the great significance of this call. Was God compelled to call Abraham? Did God have to call Abraham? No, not in the sense that Abraham deserved to be called or that mankind even deserved to be saved. That mankind deserved for God to choose a people for his own possession. No, God was not compelled to do it in that way. However, you could say God was compelled to do it because of God Himself. When God gives a promise, He makes good on that promise. When God gives His Word, He will fulfill His Word. This, the calling of Abram, is God still uh, fulfilling and carrying out the plan that He has to crush the head of the serpent. To have a people for his own possession. And ultimately to give Christ preeminence in all things. Let us not forget that. From Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. We know that one of the great 
mysteries that was revealed was that it is the will of the Father that Christ the Son have preeminence in all things, that all things, things in heaven and things on earth, be united in Christ. And so now, right now, we're studying literally the, the birth of Israel as a nation. But as we study this call of Abraham and as we go through the birth of Israel and as we go through the history of Israel, know that every last bit of it is connected to God's original uh, words and promises that we read in the opening chapters of Genesis. That all of this is connected back to the promise that the head of the servant will be crushed. And the plan has always been for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to be the serpent crusher, the snake crusher, if you will. The Savior. The Redeemer. That has always been the plan and the will of God. So when we read about the flood, when we read about Noah, when we read about uh, the whole population of the earth coming from, uh, from Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives, when we read about the call of Abraham, or sorry, the Tower of Babel first, and then the, the confusion of the languages, and we call about, and we read about the call of Abraham, all of that is connected to the opening chapters of Genesis. And so is the rest of Scripture. As I've been saying time and time again, Genesis is not just the beginnings of Israel. It's not just the, the beginnings of the world. Like, oh, Genesis, that's just how the earth was created, where man came from, and then Israel begins. And so Genesis and the whole Old Testament is just all about the Jewish people and how God worked with the Jewish people. No. Genesis is the beginnings of Everything, including the promises of God, the workings of God, how the holy God of all creation interacts with his creation. It all finds its source in Genesis. If we as believers can <clears throat> study and if God in his mercy allows us to grasp these these deep eternal truths and these promises from the book of Genesis, I can guarantee you. That as you read through the rest of Scripture, probably even many of the passages that have made you scratch your head in the past and think, what does this mean? When we read it with the understanding that Genesis is the bedrock, Genesis is the foundation for all of this that comes after, things will start to fall in place, if you will. And we'll start to understand the promises of God with greater clarity. We'll start to understand the faithfulness of God <clears throat> with greater clarity. So... To summarize what we've talked about up to this point and things I really want us to see with Abram here. Pagan worship was his upbringing. And God calls him. Says I'll make a great nation of you. God calls into existence things that don't exist. He's calling into existence the nation, the entire nation of Israel. Abram's wife is barren. Later we're going to see that God is going to promise him a son. God's going to promise a son to a man who has a barren wife. How in the world is she ever going to conceive and bear a child? God calls into existence things that don't exist. Abraham is going to fall and falter in his faith numerous times. 
And God never says, okay, Abraham, you failed too many times. I'm done with you. I'm picking somebody else. No. God continues to accomplish his purpose and his will in the life of Abraham. And even we will see that at times when Abram falters and, and Abram uh, lacks faith or tries to take things into his own hands, God still uses those moments because even those moments were a part of God's good and perfect sovereign plan. As we read about Abraham and Israel, but as we read about Abraham and the promises given to him and his people, understand this, we are literally reading our own history. You say, when I wait, Cato, that doesn't make sense. I'm not of Jewish descent. I don't have any Jewish blood in me that I'm aware of. So how in the world are we reading our own history? This is a history of how God's people came into existence. Are you a child of God? Then we're reading and studying our own history. To drive that point home even further, what did we read from Galatians chapter 3? The Apostle Paul himself says, those that are of the faith are the children of Abraham, are the descendants of Abraham. And we as Christians have to have a firm confidence in that, that look, when we read these great promises as far as the spiritual promises, the promises of life, the promise of redemption, these things that, that we read uh, that are to Israel in the Old Testament and to Abraham, we, through faith, are the recipients of those promises. And we ought to rejoice in that. When God told Abram, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, or in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed, hello, that's us. We are living proof that what God told to Abraham was the truth. Have we not been blessed? Have we not received life through the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ? Have we not received eternal life through Jesus Christ the Son? Well, from what lineage did Jesus Christ come from? Who can we trace back to? This, this line of the Israelites, this line of the Jews. Who does that trace back to? Abraham. All of us here today that can say we are saved. We are the children of God. We are living proof that what we just read here in Genesis 12 is the truth. And that because God called a man named Abraham... Every tribe, tongue, and nation is blessed because people from every tribe, tongue, and nation have been called and have been saved by the mercy and grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ, the Son. The promised Son. The promised One of God. And I know that many of us, we've probably, we've probably never considered or never seen or never connected all of these truths all throughout scripture just when we're reading the first 15 to 20 chapters of genesis because sadly many of us and we're not i'm not here to place blame or anything else this is just matter of fact but many of us were raised to read the scriptures in such a way that when we're reading the old testament and when we're reading really especially the Pentateuch which is the first five books of scripture 
and we're reading about origins and we're reading about the law that we read that. And a lot of people will say, oh, those books, those books are really hard to get through. Those books are really difficult to get through. Of course, we have the creation account. And then in Exodus, we have, well, the Exodus. And that's really exciting. But all of that stuff in between with the genealogies and this person begat this person. And then they moved here. And then and then from here, they moved here. And then, all of that stuff, if we're honest, all of that stuff is pretty boring. And it's hard to get through. And so a lot of us are trained and taught to read the scripture in such a way that when we look at Genesis and we look at the Old Testament as a whole, that really doesn't apply directly to us. Yeah, we need to know the history. Yeah, we need to know the stuff that happened in the Old Testament. But it's really most of the New Testament stuff. That's the stuff we really, 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 really need to know because that's what applies directly to us. So we start to look at the Old Testament really just as like a history textbook. And we read these things like, okay, well, God did this and God did this and God did that. Oh, here's the law. And tragically, sometimes what happens is people, people sometimes do get kind of enamored with the Old Testament. They say, oh, well, well, here's all these rules. Well, we're not following these rules today. I think we ought to still be following these rules today. And then that, that leads to great confusion. It's like, well, the Old Testament isn't really for us, but there is all these rules. And I feel like if God gave rules and God gave, law, gave laws, we should still be practicing them today. And that leads to the problem of we don't really connect the New Testament and the Old Testament. We, in our minds, sometimes we kind of keep them separated. Old Testament, Jewish people, the law, history, New Testament, church. Well, that's us. New Testament, there's a lot more exciting stuff. All of those letters are easier to read and they're a lot shorter. Whew, right? You don't have any of those books in the New Testament that are like 50 and 60 chapters, so that's good. The New Testament is a lot easier to read. And so we end up disconnecting. Well, as we've seen just from the few minutes that we've had together this morning, we cannot, we must not disconnect. The Old Testament is not just History, law, origins, or anything else. The Old Testament, every last bit of it, we are reading our history. We are reading about our ancestors. We are reading about our family members, our spiritual family member, our brothers and sisters in Christ, even though we're in the Old Testament, those that belong to God, we are reading about our brethren. It is, it is um, so very applicable to us today it is directly applicable to us today because we're literally reading our history if we claim to be the people of god here in genesis 12 we're literally reading the very beginnings of god's chosen people god's precious possession starting with the call of abraham and calling him out and saying that i will give you a land i will make you the father of a great nation and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And again, if Paul himself in the New Testament says that those that are of the faith are the children of Abraham, then anybody who tries to make an argument, no, 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 all of that stuff with Abraham, all that stuff with Israel, that's not really dire directly tied to us. Well, you're, you're going to need to take that up with the Apostle Paul, which ultimately means you have to take that up with God because you're not in agreement with God and his interpretation of his own promises.
And we end where we began. We as Christians, I hope and I pray that each of us has a firm grasp. And ultimately we will never have a perfectly firm grasp. But I hope that our grasp is becoming more firm each and every day. That when we say that God is an almighty God. When we say that God has the power and the authority over all things. When we say that God is sovereign and He can do as He pleases with all things, I hope that our grasp on those truths are becoming stronger and more firm each and every day. And we st- and God allows us to start understanding the, the, the repercussions of that and the results of that, that. If God truly is almighty, if God truly is sovereign over all things, if God really has the, the full power and full authority over all things, if God is the God who can literally... Call into existence things that don't exist. Why do we ever doubt? Why do we ever fear? Why do we ever second guess God and His Word? Why would we ever seek the approval of man rather than, rather than the approval of the Almighty God? Why would we ever be so foolish as to try to live for ourselves and accomplish our own hopes and dreams rather than laying down our lives at the feet of Almighty God saying, I'm yours. Do with me as you wish. I'm nothing but a sinner, but God, if you see fit to use this wretched sinner for your kingdom, use me. The Almighty Holy God of all creation rather than pouring out His judgment in an instant and destroying all of mankind, destroying the entire creation, preserves preserves mankind through Noah and His sons. And now we see that He is going to call out and preserve a people for His own possession. Think about that. A holy God says that I'm going to have a people for my own possession and those people are going to be made up of sinful mankind. Rebels against me. My enemies. My enemies. I'm going to make them. My beloved. And the way that that is accomplished. Is through the precious and perfect blood. Of his son Jesus Christ. And the setting in motion. Of the birth of Jesus Christ is directly connected with the call of Abraham when the gospel is preached to Abraham and it is said, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Because God's grace and mercy, God's salvation, God's redemption brought about through His Son goes out to His chosen people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Lastly, I'll say this, with that being said, that should be the very drive behind missions, behind evangelism. That God gave a promise that all the families of the earth will be blessed through a promise, through the gospel that was given to Abraham. We know that God is a God who saves His people. God is a God who redeems. We know that the gospel goes out and and the proclamation... All who believe are saved. 
And we know that Jesus himself said, I've got sheep that aren't of this fold. I must bring in, bring them in. They will listen to me. And as we share the gospel, as we proclaim the truth, that is how the sheep all over the globe, they might not, they might not be believing at the current moment, but when they hear the gospel, when they hear the preaching of the cross, they say, that's my shepherd. That's my shepherd. I believe. So I hope and I pray that even just as we read, I think, I think that was maybe three or four verses that we covered today in Genesis 12. But as we're just getting started in the life of Abraham, right out of the gate, we see that Paul makes a connections in Galatians that we just read the gospel from Genesis 12. And if any of us have ever struggled to understand how does the Old Testament apply to me? How does Genesis apply to me? A modern day believer who's alive in 2023. How does this apply directly to me? Does the gospel apply to you? Oh, well, yeah, I'm saved by the grace of God. I heard the gospel message. I heard the power of Jesus Christ. And praise God, I'm saved. Genesis 12 applies to you because that's where the promise was given. I pray that as we go through this study, that each each and every week we grow in our understanding of God's faithfulness, God's grace, and God's mercy. He's the one who gives the promises. He's the one who chooses to save. If God never chose to save, if God never chose a people for His own possession, there would be no people saved by the grace of God. There would only be sinners condemned by God. And I pray we grow in our understanding of that each and every day, that it is God who is merciful. God who is gracious. It is God who called Abram out and said, this is what's going to happen. These are my promises. And it is God who fulfills those promises and brings those promises to fruition. And it is because God is a God who is faithful and keeps His Word that we can even be here this morning worshiping Him for what great things He has done through His Son Jesus Christ. So I pray that we see those connections. I pray that we're excited. I pray that we have a greater zeal and desire to study the word and know our great and good father. And I pray that we have a greater zeal to share with the lost that are all around us. Let's close in a word of prayer.